interested in starting your own podcast? Audioboom can help with our $9.99 monthly subscription plan for hosting and distribution. You'll get 200 minutes of recording time per episode, a branded homepage on the Audioboom platform, embeddable players for web and social media, advanced analytics, and so much more. To sign up for your $9.99 monthly subscription plan, go to audioboom.com start. That's A-U-D-I-O-B-O-O-M dot com slash S-T-A-R-T. This is the MLW Radio Network. This edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. Clean up your bathroom and your morning routine. Join Dollar Shave Club today for just $5. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash primetime to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this special edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney on the MLW Radio Network. I know these days there have been uh, lots of things to uh, keep up with on this podcast. So, first of all, I want to get everybody up to date. Now, about three weeks ago, we launched the premium version of Primetime with Sean Mooney on Podbean. Uh, Us making that move has uh, opened up many opportunities for us to not only make the podcast absolutely ad-free, no interruptions when we have our conversations, but if you've already signed up, uh, you know it has also allowed us to have a number of giveaways, which we've already had. Uh, We've also made it uh, very easy to sign up. All you have to do is go to primetimemooney.com. That's primetimemooney.com, and from there, it's just a matter of clicks. Uh, before you will be a member and getting all of the great content that many of you are already enjoying for just $1.99 a month. That's it, $1.99. Uh, that breaks down to what, about $0.50 cents a podcast, but uh, we also are going to be throwing up a lot of bonus material. Well, that would include all the content I will be gathering during my trip to WrestleMania 34 this week. And we've also got several interviews lined up. Um, and, uh, I'll be telling you a lot more about that. I'm going to tell you about what I'll be doing. And this podcast, I want to give you a taste of some of the conversations that we've had so far on the premium side of PTSM. Uh, so far we've, uh, chatted with the legendary Jim Ross, also killer B, B Brian Blair. I'm sure many of you remember him, uh, just had a conversation with former WCW as well as WWF. Uh, WWE announcer, and I should also add podcast star, Tony Schiavone. Uh, All three uh, are great conversations, and they all include some great stories. And so uh, I want to do this episode in uh, in parts, uh, uh, you know, giving you a, a taste of each one, a segment from each one of those conversations, and that is coming up. Now, as I mentioned, I'll be in New Orleans uh, for WrestleMania week, and uh I have more info on that, and it's going to be very good news for you as well, especially if you happen to be a subscriber to the premium primetime with Sean Mooney, because I'm going to be very, very busy in New Orleans. Uh, let me give you a quick rundown. Um, Thursday, uh, April 5th, I'm going to be at Walla Mania, the event I am told uh, that I've never been to, but I'm uh, told that uh, it is the place to be that night. It is the party. And I'm going to be part of the uh, panel they're going to have that evening, uh, made up with apparently the who's who in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, So I'm really excited about that part. I'm going to be taking part in all the festivities. And uh, I hear that the rap star Wally is, uh, you know, it's Wallamania, is going to be there. And he's going to be performing that night. So I'm going to bring you uh, as much of that event as I can to share it with you. I will also be at WrestleCon, signing on both Saturday and Sunday, which, as you know, is a a big event uh, surrounding WrestleMania. And and on Saturday as well, I'm going to be at the House of Blues for something to wrestle with. Uh, Their live show is taking place with Bruce Pritchard and uh, Conrad Thompson. They've asked me to uh, come on over and introduce them for that event. And uh, after I I told you about this last week, but uh, all that, but since the podcast, uh, I heard from Jim Ross, who we had in our premium premiere episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney. Uh, Jim Ross contacted me and asked me if I would please emcee his live show, which is taking place on Friday. So that, along with everything else that's going to be taking place that week, uh, I'll be there and I'm going to be capturing it all. I'll be bringing all of it to you uh, 
I've got my recorder that I'm bringing along for interviews and uh, my own play-by-play that's going on. We're going to do some Facebook Lives, I'm sure, to uh, share that experience. So besides the great uh, WrestleMania podcast that will be coming up, we're also going to have a lot of bonus material that I will be posting on the premium side of Prime Time with Sean Mooney, and I absolutely cannot wait to get there. But, uh, folks, the only way you're going to be able to share all of that, to get all of that, of uh, my WrestleMania experience, you need to get the premium version of Primetime with Sean Mooney. As I mentioned, it's only $1.99, and you can just go to primetimemooney.com to make it happen. Now, uh, before we get to those segments of uh, some of the interviews that we've done so far, the conversations we've had, I want to take a minute to talk to all of my listeners who have to get out that razor and shave every day. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Now, I'm in front of a camera every single morning. I get up basically in the middle of the night, and I have to shave you know, like 2.30 in the morning. And believe me, I've got one of those beards that grows in all these different kinds of directions. You have one of those? And I also, on top of all that, I have very sensitive skin. So I really need a good uh, shaving experience. And let me tell you about my Dollar Shave Club experience. Now, they sent me... Um, uh, the the uh, package that comes with it that has all the great stuff inside. And I know you've heard other hosts talking about, you know, Dollar Shave Club and Dr. Carver's Shave Butter. You know, people do spots all the time. And, uh, you know, I'm not, say- I, I'm not saying I question their sincerity. I just wonder if they, you know, really have had that experience. So I wanted to find out for myself. I w- you know, if I'm going to promote something, I want to know that it, it's good. So uh, listen to this. You know, when I first tried... They have these uh, these razors that have six blades on them, and then they send you uh, what they call the executive razor. Now, when I uh, did my first shave with a Dollar Shave Club, I had not shaved for four days. I'm not kidding you. And I have a really thick beard. So I had a lot. I mean, you talk about a test here. Uh, this was definitely it. So, you know, you take that Dr. Carver's shave butter and, you know, you just, uh, they say like about a half dollar's worth, not even that much. And it goes on clear so you can see the whiskers through, you know, when you're putting it on. And it smells really good and it feels, you know, it's got a really kind of a tingly uh, feel to it when you put it on. And uh, I have to tell you, uh, when I shaved with it, uh, honestly here, I'm telling you, it is, uh, it was, the best shave I've ever had. Absolutely one of the best shaves I've ever had. Uh, they got me uh, with this. And I am I am really tough about shaving because, like I said, I've got a really thick beard. It grows in all different directions. I could take that razor up and down against the grain, and uh, it was it was just awesome. So, uh, you know, I'm telling you. And, and the best part about this now is that you don't have to go anywhere to get it. They send it to you. You don't have to go to a store or anything. They send it to you uh, in, in a box, and you get it, and, and uh, you know it just keeps coming once you sign up. And uh, they also have much more. Uh, I'm told they have uh, other great items uh, to create that fantastic shaving experience. Uh, they have shampoo, uh, body wash, and even toothpaste. Now, uh, they sent me uh, some of the body wash, which is awesome. But uh, I'm telling you, the shaving experience was absolutely fantastic. Everything you need to look, smell, and feel your best, uh, you can do it through Dollar Shave Club. And I can't wait to try those other products. Uh, So, guys, uh, clean up your bathroom right now and your morning routine. Join Dollar Shave Club, and for just $5, just $5 with free shipping, you're going to get the six-blade uh, executive razor plus trial sizes of the shave butter, a body cleanser, which I got. And these, uh, they call them one wipe Charlie's, uh, that you, after you, uh, shave you, uh, they have these uh, cloths that you use and it's, you know, it makes your face feel real good. Now to get that deal and uh, have that tremendous shaving experience, all you have to do is go to dollarshaveclub.com slash primetime. Remember that. Okay. It's dollarshaveclub.com slash primetime, and get your order in and try it out. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm telling you, take it from me. You're going to love it, but uh, you should do it, okay? All right, time to get to this great card we have lined up for you. First up, uh, we're going to give you a segment with the legendary announcer, 
WWE Hall of Famer Jim Ross. Now, it may seem hard to believe, or maybe not, but I had never spoken to JR before we had this conversation. And I still have not met him in person. I am going to do that this week, which I'm really looking forward to um, when I see when I MC his event uh, in New Orleans. Did I mention that? Yeah, okay. Anyway, I was blown away by how he was so candid right from the beginning, and that never changed throughout the conversation. Now here's a segment from our chat. Sean, career-wise, uh, professionally, in every aspect, coming to WWE in 1993 was the smartest thing that I ever did. Yeah. By far. And I, and I definitely want to get to that, and we will, Jim. But I, I, am, uh, I wanted to talk about that road you traveled, though, to get there, because you mentioned it took you all those years. And uh, a lot of it involved Bill Watts. And I, I wanted to hear from you. What was it about him that had such an influence on you and, and, and how he impacted your life? Because, you know, you hear uh, two different sides to the man in a lot of ways. There are people that just uh, despised him and others who uh, just, you know, uh, loved him and, and, and credit him for making them better in front of a camera and being, uh, you know, the psychology that was involved in becoming you know, really superstars, getting them there to the WWF slash WWE. I would say that uh, I would be on the side of those that love Bill. Yeah. Uh, not to say that I never had days where I just detested him. I did, plenty of them. Mm-hmm. And if he was sitting here, he'd laugh right now because he knows it's true. But yeah. it a big deal. Uh, Cowboy was a lot like my dad. Really? Big, powerful, uh, Alpha male could do could back up what he said he was going to do, uh, and Dad was the same way. He wanted to show me how to do something one time. Hence, Dad was a tell me what time it is. Don't show me the don't t- how, tell me how to build a watch guy. Yeah. Uh, and Cowboy had less time because he <laughs> had the way to run. He was the top baby face in the territory. He was the booker. He was the he owned half the territory. I mean, he was ubiquitous. Yeah. And uh, so he was uh, like this Lombardi is the best for anybody that I could tell you uh, who was a sports fan or follow follow the game over the years. At least it's still relevant because the, the winner of the Super Bowl gets the Lombardi trophy. Uh, he's that guy. Thorough, intelligent, educated, a man's man. Didn't have the most graceful social skills sometimes in mm-hmm. his world. Now, when he was uh, not in his world, and he was, you know, having a meeting or something, we had hundreds of them with TV people, politicians, et cetera, et cetera. He was, he was, uh, he was absolutely like a maestro. Mm-hmm. We know they talk about they talk about the you know the Monday Night Wars and how much that changed professional wrestling forever. But don't you think that back uh, during that period, uh, before the 90s there, when everything was happening, um, well, I'd say even earlier than that, but, you know, where everything was colliding, you had Crockett, you had Turner involved in this, Watts, and everybody fighting for national territory. I guess it got to that point. Do you think, though, when you look at that now, that that might have been the most important era ever in uh, professional wrestling when all that happened and then how it all uh, shook out at the end? Well, it significantly changed the landscape because yeah. look at how many of those key players are no longer key players. Yeah, I'm kidding. And the, the last survived and the last man standing was Vince. Right. And some people get pissed off at that. So they had a, they had a competition, they had a fight, they had the old wrestling war. In a war, last I looked, there's going to be casualties. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't want to engage and become a potential uh, casualty, then move to Switzerland. <laughs> it's neutral, I'm told. But it's a wrestling, man. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a most, one of the most unique businesses. I'm sure that no matter all the successes that you've had and you're, and you're having now, there's no way you wouldn't say that the WWE experience for you has, was probably one of the most unique uh, runs that you could ever have. 
Oh, absolutely. Can, you know. So anyway, it took me uh, years to realize it, but yeah, absolutely, you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's fine. Cowboys uh, was Vince Lombardi, and people sometimes thought he was overbearing, and he was, by the way, at yeah. that time. But he had, you know, when you when you wear that many hats, no pun intended, cowboy, but when you wear that many hats, you don't have a lot of free time, <laughs> and you need you need people that are self starters. They give him answers. And at a very young age, my early 20s, I did that. And at that point on, I was almost like a made man. I had a place with him for as long as he was in the wrestling business, yeah. which well, I trusted his business for him. Yeah, and, and, and uh, enough that he trusted you to go to that meeting with, uh, with Crockett. Uh, yeah. Was it, and I wanted, it wasn't real clear in the book, but I, was, it, uh, was it a $4 million price tag that they settled on? I think it was, but I know from my uh, five points that it didn't, it didn't come in that way. There was. I was going to say that five points didn't exactly end up like that, did it? Oh, no, 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 I didn't. It, it, but uh, I believe that, uh, far from it, by the way, yeah, uh, I, I believe that the issue was the uh, Crockett business model got turned upside down. And and then that's when uh, Jim Barnett uh, uh, helped broker Turner Broadcasting to buy the company and, and name it WCW. Right. So, so I, I I think there's there's no money there. I think he ran out of money. Huh. I got I'm gonna tell you this. I got a check for ten grand for putting the whole four million dollar deal together. <laughs> You're yeah. probably the flying hey, home thinking. Wait, there's more. <laughs> I live in Dallas then. Yeah. And he said the only way I'm gonna pay you. If you'll fly to Tulsa and take me to dinner. <laughs> An expensive Cowboy. one, too, right? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah, we didn't go to the Sonic. <laughs> but That's I have to I like imagine, Jim, you were in that plane thinking, hmm, how am I going to spend this money? 5% of $4 mil, Wow. You know, you're, you were probably counting <laughs> counting the dollars. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, I knew that there was. It, I knew that it was. Uh, the number was going to be less, but. I was kind of surprised, and, and not pleasantly so, that it had cut in half. But uh, I did understand the math on the deal, and you know. So, but anyway, nonetheless, uh, it was a yeah, it was a key time because Crockett fell by the wayside, yep. Turner fell by the wayside, eventually, yeah, I fell by the wayside, and uh, the big Irishman up there in Connecticut was the last guy standing. And, and I'm, hey, I'm so damn glad he did. Because, <laughs> yeah, well, here's the thing about it, Sean, as a broadcaster. Yeah. When he signed you, he told the world that I don't, I'm not going to build my business in all these other, all these areas where you got to be an ex wrestler to be a broadcaster. Yeah, exactly. He gave he, you a job that led yeah. to other jobs and experience and a paycheck. And so, uh, uh, he, Vince was the guy that was going to take care of people like you and me. Mm-hmm. Wrestling business and the formula they used for the payoffs at that time and the percent, gate, percentage of the gates and all that stuff, that was in place. Yeah. For peripheral guys like you and I, it's, it's, uh, it's putting your big boy pants and start negotiating. Yeah. And, the, and they, they, here's the other thing about that. The old ex-wrestling promoters, like Cowboy, who was a star wrestler, mm. he was headlining in the Madison Square Garden three years in the business. They always believed that not only are they physically alpha males, they're smarter than you. I yeah. admit, a lot, every, every wrestling promoter that was a former wrestler that, owned, that, that bought into a territory or owned a territory always thought, at least in my experience, and maybe they're right, by the way, I don't know, that they're smarter than you. <laughs> and, uh, but this is a guy that was going to take care of the key people around him. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I had to, Turner finally got it when my last two or three years there, they finally got it. Uh, cause I said, how could you pay the baseball guys, uh, or the basketball guys or that you own yeah. X dollars when their ratings are half of mine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, yeah, but you're doing wrestling. What the hell does that mean? 
Right. Ratings are ratings. Numbers are numbers. As uh, an advertising guy, I know you used to show up with those numbers and say, hey, when I'm not even talking the program here, look at these numbers. And you're right. And that's what uh, what the WWE has certainly done to the cable world, for sure. It, those, those cats uh, that they're that's broadcasting, yeah. uh, I, I look at some of their schedules and said, man, this, I hope they realize what a great gig they've got. Yeah. The TV, okay. the, the TV broadcaster. Because uh, hey, look, you ain't got to you, you got to do some prep work, the biographical prep work, which you always update. That's easy, and you yeah. should be doing that anyway. Yeah. Uh, but you know, they they get great treatment, and uh, you know, their TV crew is second to none in the world, in my view. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the great Jim Ross, uh, not just a great announcer, but one of the most resilient individuals there is. Uh, I, I could tell you, you listen to him talk about his career. The guy never, ever, ever gave up. He is clearly a tremendous example uh, to people in perseverance. If you are somebody out there who wants to uh, become an announcer or whatever your dream is, uh, look to uh, Jim Ross. This is a guy that uh, uh, how many ups and downs he had in his career, and yet uh, he just kept coming back and he kept getting those calls, and he really is uh, one guy that uh, certainly deserves everything that has come his way and definitely deserves to be a WWE Hall of Famer. Okay, now on to B. Brian Blair of the Killer Bees. Brian had a great career along with uh, Jim Brunzel as the Killer Bees, right, with the WWF, WWE. But this segment of conversation we had uh, talks about a time long before his arrival in the WWE when he was almost shot by the old-school promoter, Leroy McGurk. I'm going to leave it at that. Take a listen. Uh, so uh, this kind of, I would imagine, catapulted you along. Uh, because uh, then you really you started working. I don't know, was it shortly after that? I mean, you did some stuff with the CWF, and then uh, you even mentioned your first match was with uh, Pat Patterson and, and Ivan Koloff. Um, yes. So uh, what, you know, what time frame are we talking about? Because this is where it really begins, as far as you, t- you right. launching into in, this new world. We're in like uh, June of 77. Yeah. And, wow, you're, uh, man, you're young yeah <laughs> yeah yeah 19 yeah. uh well, i graduated from school when i was 17 yeah. i was probably uh 19 and a half 20 oh, okay. and uh um uh, a referee didn't something happened to one of the referees so eddie graham flew me to um to jacksonville in his airplane and then i worked the whole week as a referee but my first day as a referee before i started wrestling i had a week of refereeing and i didn't know how to referee and so I didn't really know I was going to referee uh, until he just said it that day. And so I'm trying to ask some questions, you know, and what do you do? He said, it's, everybody said the same thing, you know, it's, it's just like amateur wrestling because they wouldn't smarten me up. You know, mm-hmm. Kate Fade was big. Right. Right. They, you know, they still had not smartened me up. Uh-huh. So I still didn't take a, you know, um, um, you know, we, we'd walk through some stuff, but, you know, they would say now. You were taking a bump. With full speed. When you do it full speed, you know, you do it yeah. full speed, but we're going to walk through. So we do some little things, but uh, when it when it came back to being a referee, I knew what an a- amateur referee did when the yeah. shoulders were down at the count of three, they're pinned. Um, yeah. Three seconds, boom, you're down. And so it was uh, Angelo Poffo and, um, oh, godly, uh, Vashon, Butcher Vashon. Oh boy! And in Jacksonville, and they didn't tell me the finish or anything like that. And I, you know, I kind of knew, you know, I knew it was a work, but because nobody could take that much punishment. Yeah. But anyway, again, how, they were, how stiff was it though? Then you, you you said they hadn't really smartened you up, but I mean, how stiff was it back then? Oh, they were real stiff, man. They, <laughs> I, I'll never forget. Oh God! After um, when uh, Greg's father, oh my gosh, Greg Valentine's father, Johnny came in as the booker after the plane crash he was on crutches mm-hmm. and of course i'm always the laughing stock because i'm the young guy so he's given all these guys uh, a talk about how he's the new booker and he wants everybody to 
to tighten up, to be snug. And he goes, when you lay a, when you lay a forearm in, this is how I want you to do it. He goes, Blair, come here. So I said, yes, sir. So I'm just standing there and he hit me so hard that I just dropped to my knees. And, (laughs) And, uh, you know, this guy still on crutches and everything. Powerful, powerful man. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, I, I really didn't know what to expect. And then the first match rolled around. It was uh, Skip Young and I against uh, Ivan Koloff and Pat Patterson in a tag match for television. And um, um, uh, they uh, shikanned me, threw me out of the ring, and uh, uh, pinned Skip. And, you know, that was my first match. Mm. From there. This kept rolling. Went mm. to Kansas City, um, to Watts' territory, to not just... Uh, a lot of a lot of different territories. Yeah, and you worked with uh, with Tri-State, and uh, I, I want to talk about this because uh, a lot of people have talked about working with Leroy McGurk. Uh, yes. And, and uh, we just, I had a conversation with Jim Ross, who worked with when Watts and, and McGurk were teamed up. Uh, what was it like to work with that guy? Well, uh, Leroy was different. He actually one time tried to shoot me. But yeah, uh, that's, <laughs> you know, Jim Ross tells a story of how uh, he wanted to shoot uh, Ted DiBiase. That he yeah, had, I, and he was blind, right? I mean, he was pretty right. much blind, and uh, he kind of got him to avoid that situation. But I mean, I guess he thought there was no circumstance to actually shooting somebody. No, he carried that gun everywhere. And, um, oh gosh, you know, at first I didn't know if he was, I knew uh, he didn't want his, uh, daughter dating wrestlers. Uh, you know, the DiBiase thing was blew up and he was all upset with her about that. And so, and here I come along another wrestler, uh, Mike invites me, Michael Kathleen invites me to the house. And so yeah, I'm no, he didn't even want her to be a woman. I mean, he called her Mike. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted her to be a, yeah, he wanted her to be a son. So her name's Michael Kathleen. Yeah. You know, we're good friends even to this day. I mean, she's yeah. a sweet. And well, she, uh, she, she was, I mean, during the time when I was with the WWF and she was uh, one of the ring announcers, which she's still very much remembered uh, for that, that time. Yeah. I remember when you were with them, yeah. but uh, it, you, you, um, you got to understand Leroy is kind of bitter, you know, about losing his eye and he's always accusing Dorothy of going out on her and mm-hmm. things like that. And I'm listening to all this family stuff, you know, family bickering. And, but the first time I was in the house, Leroy had never met me and Mike invited me over and he said, she said, my dad's not going to be there. Well, the car was gone. Dorothy was gone, but Leroy was in the back room sleeping. So I'm in the kitchen and I, I hear Michael say, Shh. and here comes Leroy and he's walking with his hands in front of him. And I'm thinking, Oh man, is this a work or what? Is he going to just kick my ass? What's, what's going to happen? And he's got his hands and he's walking and Sean, I, I I promise you, he came within six inches of me and I'm trying to hold my breath and not make a move or a peep because I know he's going to kill me. And are you working for him at the time? Uh, yes, I am. (laughs) Didn't you, didn't you know you stay away from the boss's daughter? (laughs) <laughs> well yeah i like guess dangerously yeah i guess you know i was young i was uh you know 21 22 years old whatever uh just just young didn't listen i guess uh, as much as i should have but um, so he's six you know, inches I, away I, from your face <laughs> yeah and so he he i'm just scared to death that he's actually gonna he's actually looking at me and he's gonna sucker punch me or something and I can't lift my arms up. I've got my arms glued to the to the wall, like I'm, you know, like a uh, a picture on the on the wall. And he just barely misses me and passes me and goes to the refrigerator. And I I just slowly, I had tennis shoes on. I will never forget. I had white um, uh, kid not kids. Uh, what do you call those chucks? White chucks on. Okay. <laughs> old white chucks on and a, a pair of blue jeans. Yeah, Converse. And um, so I. I uh, just kind of got out and slipped out and, and left. <laughs> we didn't have cell phones then or anything, but you know, and something tells me you didn't learn your lesson. No, I <laughs> about that. I didn't, Sean. I, uh, <laughs> so you were, you were briefly married. Uh, I was married for a year, a year, Yeah, okay. married for a year. And, it, and that didn't end well. 
No, it didn't. Um, it didn't end well at all. Um, so I left with, uh, with my boat and $500 and some clothes. And I stopped at, uh, Leroy's Well, I wound up getting in a fight with, uh, Doug Summers and tore up Leroy's office completely. I mean, I just threw him into the walls and stuff was falling. Yeah, so this guy, we should give a little background. The, uh, Doug Summers was what was he was he was also a wrestler and he worked for McGurk, and he uh, got involved with your wife. wife. Yes, he started when when you know Mike and I. She stopped. You know, she would go to the towns and count the money and stuff, and we'd usually ride together. And I'd let Summers ride with us sometimes. He'd ask for a ride. All of a sudden, you know. Mike and I are riding together and I find out she's riding with him. And all of a sudden I find out, you know, she knows we're getting a divorce. And so she's started to date Doug Summers. And I didn't like that idea, obviously. Yeah. So, so this is the <laughs> second time you wanted to hurt somebody really badly. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a funny show. So I'm anyway, I to look back at it now though, because I wouldn't, if it was something you didn't want to discuss, but it sounds <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what happens is I, I I didn't know what happened to him. All I knew is that a uh, few people came in and he was laying on the floor like lifeless. And I got a few wrestlers got me away and I left and I was crying. You know, I was upset. Got my uh, 72 powder blue Lincoln Continental with uh, got my, you know, Boat went to uh, Leroy's house just to say goodbye because I had ca- just called uh, David and told him about what time I would be in and yeah. that I would pull over and give him a call so he knew and um, David Von Erich okay. and um, I just wanted to see Mike and tell her goodbye. You know, there was just something that said, "Well, you know, I don't care what happened. I just want to at least tell her goodbye and I'll always love her." And, uh, so how did David Von Erich fit into this? Where we see one of the well, well, David would come up and work for us, and okay. and and Kevin and Carrie, yeah, yeah. and that's uh, a whole other story, isn't it? Talking about the Von Erichs. Oh yeah, I lived with David for a year and a half. Yeah. So I just saw, I just stayed with Kevin in Kauai for three days, uh, wow. getting ready to go back um, uh, in June. So, um, but uh, yeah, they became very very close to me and. Um, uh, Found, and you make the decision so that it's a good idea to go by Leroy McGurk's house. Yes. So I'm at the house. daughter after you've torn up, uh, beaten up one of his wrestlers and destroyed his office. Okay. Yes. That's where we are. Yes. <laughs> so, I, so now I get to the house and I knock on the door and Leroy comes to the door. He goes, who is it? And I said, Leroy, it's Brian. I just want to say goodbye to Michael. He just cussed me like a sailor. And he goes, hey, I'm going to go get my gun. Da, 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 da. So I ran to my car. I didn't know what to do. So I'm sitting in my car now thinking to myself, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I don't want to get shot. I know he's got that gun. Da, 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 da. He can't see me. I'm just all these thoughts are going through my head. So I said, well, I got to at least see Mike. So I go to the front window. I can't see anything. Go around. Finally, I get to the back window where I can see like the inside where the couch is. And there's like a mummy laying on the couch. And I see Mike uh, feeding somebody soup through this uh, full headed cast. And uh, Doug Summers laying on the couch (laughs) and he's feeding him soup. So that really kind of pissed me off. So I go back around to the front door. And this time I knock on the door and I, and when you walk, it's, there's like a side walk across the front of the house. And then you turn left to get to the door. Yeah. Um, it's brick in the front and then you turn left and there, and it's about six feet indention. And there's the door. Well, I knock on the door and all of a sudden the door whizzes open and there's a gun and he opens up the screen door. And I, when I saw the gun, I automatically went around to the brick for protection out of that hallway area and he's got his car parked right in front of the thing and he starts going blam 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 wow see the bullets flying up right next to his tire he had (laughs) all over his hubcap uh and it's lincoln continental and i thought shit man i better just go (laughs) yeah that was probably a good idea thank god he was blind 
Yeah, thank God he was blind. Oh, mm-hmm. gosh. Uh, so I went to uh, David Von Erich's house, and when I got there, he had a surprise for me. I won't even talk about it. But uh, but he was just, we became mm-hmm. such wonderful, wonderful friends, and I just love that family so much. And, yeah. Well, the tragedy that is, that, is, uh, that family has endured. Uh, B. Brian Blair had... Uh, so many more incredible stories during that conversation, including a car ride that included Paul Orndorff uh, ending up biting a piece of Tony Atlas's ear off. I kid you not. It is another conversation you absolutely do not want to miss. Uh, I also recently got the chance to catch up with Tony Schiavone, and it had been a while. Our time together in the WWE uh, was brief. He spent just one year uh, with uh, the WWE when I was there with him, uh, and then he went back down south. But that didn't mean we didn't have a lot to talk about. I really wish he would have stuck around. I, I stayed until 93, and that was when things were you know, starting to change there. I often look back at that and go, eh, what? You know, I was young and had stupid, and you, know, you think other things are going to happen. Right. And it was, you know, it's been a great ride since I've gotten to do a lot of other things, but I always wondered too, eh, I wonder if I would have stuck around, but it was, uh, you know, like you said, things happen, you move forward. Right. Uh, when you went back down South though, and you said it was really tough for the first couple of years, but when, uh, it, you know, WCW started to become competitive, what did it become fun again? Or was the way that place was operated and all the politics involved never allow that to happen? Well, it never allowed it to happen. I never had the feeling at WCW, uh, and there were some good people that worked here. Uh, I never had the feeling of WCW that I was part of the team. I never felt like uh, that I wanted to go out and, you know, I, I never felt like I wanted to go out and eat dinner with any of these guys. Mm. And I'm not going to say their names, but I mean, you know, yourself and Kevin Granith and Alfred and Carlucci and even Kevin Dunn and Kerwin. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, we all got along. roll them off. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we all got along and we liked each mm-hmm. other. And, and I went to baseball games with Kevin Dunn. Yeah. Uh, I went out to dinner with Kerwin. I went to dinner there with, with Granith and I, I felt a part of them. I never felt it here. Uh, and it was, uh, you just kind of. You know, you just got to do your job and, and hope the years go by. Now, when it, when it started to pick up and business got pretty good, you know, that's when Eric took over yeah. Bischoff and Eric and I were very friendly, but Eric was a very demanding guy to work for. Mm-hmm. And now as we go on and I start making more money and more money and more money, uh, the pressure is on because Eric, you know, was, was very, uh, quick to tell me that this is why you make the big bucks, the pressure of what yeah. we're doing. Yeah. Uh, and compared to the boys, it wasn't big bucks, but it was more, it was big bucks compared to a minor league, what a minor league baseball. Yeah. Right. No, oh, yeah. absolutely. That was yeah. a lot going so on. It was, so it was tough. Uh, and it was an easy place to work. And by the time it all went crashing down, I had really had enough of it. Really. Yeah. I had had enough of the wrestling that I had loved and grew up on. It was no longer around. It's killed. You know, I had a yeah. conversation with, with Jim Ross, uh, a few weeks back and, uh, I asked him about that, that atmosphere. And for him, uh, I think that, you know, he was one of those guys that was kind of caught in the middle. He was the, the boys thought that he had information and was playing, uh, you know, playing them and helping to move the chess pieces. And then management was a little bit wary of what, and so he was kind of caught in the middle and it didn't seem like he could ever win. Did you feel the same way? Because I know you talked about, and I think Bobby had mentioned, you know, that he felt like you were always, you were always withholding things from him. Yeah. Uh, was it like yeah. that? I mean, did you feel no. like that? I, I, I knew, I knew what, I knew what, uh, the announcers thought of me. Uh, uh and, and I was very removed, especially when we were, things were starting to go badly. I was very removed from everybody. Uh, and I, there was a feeling that Tony would go and sit in the office with Eric yeah. or, or sit in the office with the, with the, whoever was booking at that time. Dusty, Kevin Sullivan or whatever, and come up with all this stuff. And I completely removed myself from everyone. I would take a book and, and go read somewhere in the arena. Uh, And and the boys didn't realize that they thought you were part of the conniving team. 
Yes, they did. And uh, I never held stuff from him, never held stuff back from me at all. A lot of times they didn't smarten me up. They smartened me up when they felt like uh, they should, and they didn't when they wanted what they considered to be a real react. But by the time I was doing real reacts, I was so jaded that nothing surprised me anymore. Mm. Um, but, uh, the Hulk Hogan thing did surprise me in 96, but most, um, most things didn't surprise me. Uh, but no, I didn't, you know, the, the Heenan story with me is one that is my fault. And, you know, he's, uh, he went on and he went, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to call Bobby Heenan a liar. I know he's passed on. I wouldn't call him a liar to his face, but he embellished a lot of things that we did. Uh, uh, but he was very angry at me and he had a right to be. So he, uh, he said a lot of bad things, but we, we, before he passed away, we, we finally aired things out and, uh, but, but no, I was, and and, uh, on top of that, boy, and I hated this too. I was uh, at WCW. I was the lead announcer, but I was also in charge of the announcers, which was the dumbest thing ever. And a which job you didn't want. <laughs> yes. Which basically meant, meant Sean that I approved their expense reports. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, and I gave them, uh, you know, how HR, you know, in your big corporation, right? Yeah. Yeah. I gave them reviews. Okay. How am I going to review Bobby Heenan? Yeah. Yeah. I, so I would just write down some stuff. I'd say here, look at it, sign it. And that was it. I never sit down and said, uh, Mr. Heenan, this is your review. We're going to take about an hour to talk about what you, you know, you just can't. You just know I'm one of the guys. Yeah. So, uh, you didn't tell I, him, you know, you need to stop having your chair so high. Uh, yeah, know. that's a, that was funny. <laughs> uh, that that's funny. We, we make a big joke out of that now on the yeah. podcast, yeah, I uh, because I don't, you know, I, I always like my chair all the way up. I always did, but I never thought it should be higher than Heenan's. But if Heenan thought that by God, it's a great story, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, yeah. and you, you know, you talk about, uh, Bobby in that sense, and this is true with a lot of people I mean, for God's sakes. Uh, you and I were uh, we, we were uh, pretty close at that time when you were with the WWF. Right. When you left, we, we lost we lost touch, and life gets in the way. I mean, life things happen. You've got right. kids, and you're trying to make a living, and you're thinking, well, I don't know if they want to talk to me, but you know, th- to me, this is the this is the true test. If you if you somebody you don't see or talk to in 10, 20 years, and uh, you see them, and it's like you saw them yesterday. Yeah. And they don't hold, they, they, they understand the same situation. You didn't want to talk to me or you, I did something to you. And, and I was, you know, kind of amazed when, uh, like I read Bobby's, uh, one of his books, he wrote a couple of them, but one of them, and there was, you know, I'm like reading, and then I'll sort of see this chapter that, you know, Sean Mooney, you know, tried to hide his past or like, he wrote, and I'm like, what, Bobby, what that, yeah. you know, it was just like this slap. And I'm like, right. what the hell? I never had heat with Bobby. Never. Right. Right. And I, and I, you know, I, I certainly was close to him. I worked with him, uh, you know, but I didn't know, like, did he want to stay in touch? You know, and I just felt like, and it seemed like when, when you hear that he was very hurt by people not uh, staying in touch over the years. Yeah. And if I would have known that she's, I would have loved to have picked up the phone and talked to Bobby and say, how you're doing, you know? Well, he was like that, Sean. He, he I really, didn't, I didn't, know he, that. yeah, he wanted you to stay in touch with him. That's where huh. he was. And I wasn't good at that. And when he got fired, is really Craig indeed. Leathers calls me at my house and Craig says, uh, Eric is firing Bobby Heenan. Huh. And I pause a beat and I say, well, I guess as the, uh, supervisor of the announcers, you want me to call him and fire him. Mm-hmm. And Craig said, no, I've called him and mm-hmm. I've told him, he said, but I'm telling you that he is, uh, he has uh, threatened a lawsuit. So I'm telling you as your supervisor, have no contact with him. Oh. And I said, okay. And I should have, I've said this many times in many podcasts. I should have said, okay, I won't pick up the phone and called him and see how he was doing. But yeah. being a, a good uh, soldier, I didn't talk to him and that mm-hmm. really pissed him off. And that was the beginning of, of our big problems. So, yeah. and that's my fault. You know, I, 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 I handled that situation the wrong way. Now I can't do anything about it now. And I couldn't do anything about it a day later, but uh, he was very angry with me about that because he, Again, back to what we were just saying, he was, he wanted you to stay close to him, you know, personal. He would on Christmas, he would make a point to call his friends mm-hmm. and just see how they were doing. He wanted to stay in, stay in touch with people. So yeah. everybody's different. Well, I mean, I'm glad think, you did in a sense, fix yeah. it as, as yeah. best you could, but, uh, just a, 
that uh, that is just a shame that that yeah. all those years were lost. Right. And uh, you know, it just it's it's a damn shame because yeah. I love Bobby. I mean, he helped oh, me he was- so much, and uh, you know, you know what it's like to be around him, and just the uh, you know, and Gorilla too, you know. And you think about those times with those people, and it's uh, you know, Gino uh, came to my wedding. You know, Alfred was at my wedding. Right. And, uh, it's just, uh, you know, those guys were just amazing people. They were. Uh, when, when, uh, it, it, you mentioned, uh, you know, when you're last, you're talking, uh, when things, you know, Monday Nitro Wars, yeah. was there ever a point when, when they, when you guys overtook the, you know, the, the W, the big, uh, you know, wrestling operation on the mountain, did you get a chance to enjoy that or no? Was it ever a time when you were like, God, yeah, I had a part, I had a piece of this. There were, you know, there were, uh, we, uh, <laughs> this is odd because I never, uh, and I was talking to Jr. about this. I never watched what the WWF was doing back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was never one of those guys. Maybe I should have, maybe I should have, you know, had a keen sense of the business and watch what they do and maybe try to do it better. But I always thought, you know, I'm going to worry about our product. I'm going to worry about us. I'm going to worry about trying to do my job and not worry about what the other guys are doing. Eric Bischoff did enough for that for everybody. Uh, So uh, back during that time, I never really, uh, there was a, there were like, I don't know how many weeks during the stretch that we were number one. And uh, we, we used to subscribe to uh, entertainment weekly here at the house back when magazines meant something. And uh, I used to, you could open up and see the top uh, rated cable shows Right. And we were like number one and number two, they would say WCW Monday Nitro. And I remember looking at that thinking, wow, man, that's us. Yeah. And, and and I really got a, I got a kind of a, a thrill about that, but I never did, you know, look at the numbers like Eric did every day. I just tried to do my job, put my nose to the grindstone, so to speak, and think that everything would take care of itself, which it did, I guess. But it's unfortunate that uh, because you know, not the you're not the only one that said, and uh, and, and uh, Jim talked about it, and a few of the other superstars I've talked to that even during that run when you're supposed to be just uh, loving this, it's just uh, there's all of this behind the scenes turmoil and people you know pissed at each other and there's heat and there's right. that nobody could really enjoy that ride. No, that you're right, and one of the reasons is it's a job and. Uh, Conrad and I were just recently did a, did a podcast that's going to air Monday. We actually recorded it this morning and I, and I told him the fact that there are a lot of fans that say, you know, Shivani doesn't remember anything. Well, Shivani remembers a lot, <laughs> but I remember, I remember more about wrestling when I was a fan yeah. and th- those are the moments I remember when I was working in wrestling, we cranked out most, so much stuff on a day-to-day basis and a weekly basis that they, they just ran on top of each other. And I, and I challenge anybody that says, well, had I worked in wrestling, I remember all baloney. Yeah, absolutely. Baloney. It just, it, it becomes, instead of becoming a passion, it becomes a job. Uh, and it becomes, then it became labor. Uh, and, and then you kind of just shut things out and look, I, uh, Conrad and I were doing one uh, on our episode of what happened when, we were doing an episode. I think it was our last pay-per-view. It was called uh, WCW Greed or Sin or one of those crazy things. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm I'm watching this with Conrad, and I'm seeing this Jason Jett walk out, the opening <laughs> match, and I'm listening to me talking about Jason Jett. I couldn't have told you who Jason Jett was from I didn't never remember the guy. Who the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, and, and what? Yeah, who the hell is that? And I must know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I'm uh, talking but, about him. Uh, I'm talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> so I just don't remember that stuff. A guy said, "Do you remember the time the fan climbed the cage uh, during the Hogan uh, Piper match at uh, I think it was in Las Vegas?" And I went, "No, I don't." <laughs> and then I went back and I watched it, and then all of a sudden, yeah, I remember when that happened. Well, but I, and, did, you know, at that no, moment, yeah, and it's crazy. And I, I, I I've got, I've gotten, uh, you know, a lot of correspondence from people and they say, remember when you did this match at the Boston garden with Alfred Hayes and what was yeah. that event like? And I, I, I don't know if I have the heart to tell him, but a lot of those matches, we weren't there. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know exactly. I mean? We were back in Stanford. They'd bring the tapes back. Sure. From, 
<laughs> and, and I'm right. supposed to remember all this great event. They're talking about, oh yeah, remember this happened. This happened. I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, no, honestly can't tell you that because right. we've let out a big secret here, right. but, it, but it's amazing. Now, the Tony Schiavone episode is out right now, folks. If you would like to hear the entire conversation, it is very easy. All you have to do is go to primetimemooney.com and subscribe, and there is a lot more to hear from Tony. Uh, more on his time with the WCW and the fact that uh, with all that went on and all those uh, triumphs that uh, the WCW had while he was down there, that he never, ever got the chance to enjoy it. And it was a great conversation uh, do not miss that one. And there is even more coming on the uh, premium side of primetime with Sean Mooney. Uh, in, in, Casey Dronebeck is our producer, and and I know we talked about this, Casey, but uh, let's give them some more. Let's give them more. I, I want to give them, uh, because it was such a great conversation, another uh, episode that we have coming up features Luke Williams, you know, of the lovable comedic Bushwhackers, uh, you know, along with his partner, Butch Miller. Uh, we also had a great conversation, and one part of the discussion with Luke was about just how intense uh, they were. Uh, you, many people don't know this, but they were among the most brutal tag teams in professional wrestling. Uh, I'm not kidding. Blood and guts, uh, tough as they come, before they arrived in the WWE. And in this clip, Luke talks about the early days when he and Butch first came to North America and uh, wrestling for Stu Hart in Canada, and how they ended up beating up Stu's kids uh, <laughs> during a match. And that beatdown included a very young Bret Hart. I'm not kidding. You know, we talk about people traveling in the United States, but when you're hopping around the world like that, uh, what, uh, what kind of a schedule did you keep? Uh, you... Would you just go away from country for months and months at a time, or how how did it work? No, no, you'd you'd go away for you know to, to Singapore, up that area for a month, and then come home. Yeah, and, and were I, they like territories? Was that considered you know these these no, territories? No, no, no. There was a guy called King Kong, around five hundred pounds. He uh -huh. he was a big star up there, and you know those, my the New Zealand promoter would set up a tour with him. So we'd go over there and do Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, Penang, those places. Yeah. At the time, too, we we were Sweet William and the Brute, and I did Butch Miller was was the uh, Brute Miller, and I did him around on a collar and chain. He was I was the Sweet it was Beauty and the Beast gimmick. <laughs> I had the long blonde hair and wow. that. And, and he had, he was wild. His hair was all over the place. Yeah. Well, we, he had a buzz cut, and I had a dog collar around him, and I had a dog chain, a heavy chain. I lead him around on that, and we'd have to walk. We'd walk through the markets during the day to promote the show at night yeah. in the heat. And I'm, here's I'm leading Butch around, and he's going swinging his arms around and walking, <laughs> and walking like a spastic. Oh God. I wish I could see some pictures or video of that. That would be uh, yeah. That was incredible. And he'd be see. saying, "Water, water, give me water," and I would <laughs> jerk the chain as a rib. But that was those days. We still laugh about. We talk about it now, but that, uh, that was uh, that was that. Uh, and then, and then, um, then, nineteen seventy-one, seventy-two. That's when the Vachons. We came over. Vachon's owned a territory in Montreal with Edward Carpentier and a blind man. And we came over, it was called Grand Prix. Uh -huh. And that's when we came over to North America for the first time. I was going to say, was that your first trip ever or that you'd seen this side of the world? Yes. Wow. Now, in, 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 um, in Australia, We'd worked with a lot, you know. Jim Barnett had all Americans. He had right. ten Americans there all the time. You kill the Kowalski, oh, Buddy Austin, Brute Barnard. Uh, I just saw one the other day, Dominic Danucci. I was at a show and Dominic come. Dominic's oh. in the eighties now. He he was a big star there. 
Wow. He was a, coming to Australia and that, you know, he was a big star down there. So you were all you were already familiar with a lot of these people. Uh, so when he when was, so, when, yeah. so when we came, oh yeah, when we came to um, North America to um, Montreal, this company was running two to three shows a night. Listen, listen to this one. Grand Prix was so big at the time because Andre came in there in in, in seventy one. We come in the start of seventy two, yeah. and Andre had the place on fire. Oh. And that, you know, all the top, they had all the top names from around the States there, working there, two, running two shows a night. And that, uh, and uh, the names are insane. Bruno would come in for big shows. But, um, because they, they were working, they were working with Vince McMahon Sr. Right, so they'd send up guys from the north. Uh, from yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, we, one of the big shows, in in um, seventy three, I think it was this Jerry Park. It did the biggest crowd in North America at the time. It was thirty yeah. just under thirty thousand, and in the and Jerry Park where they had the the Olympics in the sixty sixty eight, uh-huh. and then, and um, yeah, that we worked against Dominic Zanucci and Tony Piglacy. They were, you know two guys that worked for Vince Senior. Wow. So this yeah. was uh, kind of your introduction into North America. Yes. And, and at that point in time, uh, was that as big as any other territory that they had in the United States? Oh, that was right. Where else was running, at the time, where else was a territory running two shows a night? Yeah, wow. It worked, it, it worked Quebec, and it worked Ontario, and, and Vermont, the top of Vermont. It came into Barrie and different places like, you know, the top of Vermont. But um, that, they were running big, ice, you know, they're all, they're all ice skating arenas. Gino Brito, Dino Bravo, the names, Edward Carpentier, the Vachon, Morris Vachon, uh, Jules the Fish, uh, mm-hmm. Billy White Wolf, uh, Billy Two Rivers, Indians, they had uh, everywhere, Tarzan Tyler, all these guys were big names all over the South, too. They all worked for Jim Barnett out yeah. of Atlanta. But did they, and you mentioned that, uh, you know, the Vachans and uh, Carpentier, uh, they had uh, their uh, own operation, and then you had Stu Hart Stampede, and did they uh, work together or exchange talent like many of the territories well, did in the United States? Uh, well, well, no, I, I, after a year and a half, they said to us, you know, we'll have to start, you know, jobbing you, but we don't want to. We'd rather keep you as you are because you've been here a year and a half. You know, right. territories, unless you're a homesteaded baby face, we were heels. They turn over the heels, you know what I mean? Yeah, Because yeah. the baby faces always end up going over. Right. So, uh, you know, we were working, believe it or not, the second show, we were working main event there. And wow. Butch's name was changed from the Brute because Brute Barnard had been up all around there. The Brute had uh-huh. already been up all around there. So Bush's name was changed to Nick Carter, Crazy Nick Carter. <laughs> so now it was Sweet William and Crazy Nick Carter. But I was leading him around the chain still. He was still crazy and still had the chain gimmick. Yeah. Uh, what Nick Carter? I mean, I, I, I see the brute, but where, what about where did Nick Carter come from? Right, you know, Nick Carter was in one of those hard, you know, uh, hardbacks. Um, what do they call it? You know, the mag, the the books you buy to read on the plane, the soft cover. Yeah. You know, books. You know, James Patterson writes and that sort of stuff. Well, okay. Nick Car- Nick Carter, Carter then in the in the seventy uh, was. Uh, he was a hot character, one of those. That's where <laughs> they got it from. Uh, well, you know, uh, everybody had all kinds of, of different gimmicks, but I think that uh, uh, most remembered you from those days. I mean, once you started to come up as the sheep herders. Now, when did that the, no, the change come it, from yeah, well, Kiwis, we, the sheep herders? How did all that? We were jumping a patch there. When they said to me, to us, you know, we'd have to start, start beating you, that's when they said, but we can send you to another territory. Okay. And they and they said Stampede, which is uh-huh. Central Canada. 
Right. And they said, you know, they said a guy, they mentioned Stu Hart. I'd never heard of Stu Hart in my life. Really? You know, I'd never heard of Stampede oh. Wrestling. Okay. This was This was 73, uh-huh. right? So we go over to Stampede. Archie Goldie, if we go there, we're the smallest heels. Abdullah, there's Big John Quinn. There's Archie Goldie, the Mongolian stomper, and here's the here's the two Kiwis there now. The first night they put us against the tag champions, and uh, we got DQ'd with them. And um, we were in the flagpole, we beat them up and that. And then Abby came out. Abby Abby came out and started throwing these kids in the ring. Four of them, two of them he gigged, two of them were bleeding. <laughs> and, and that, and he's and he's screaming. We we knew Abby from before, and he's screaming to us, "Beat him up, champ! Beat him up!" So we're kicking the shit out of them. Now there's the two guys we beat. The the champions were lying out there, so there were six bodies lying in the ring, and we we and we had we'd only met Archie Goldie, and that. So now we leave the ring and go back to the dressing room, and as we come back to the dressing room, and that this is the pavilion. In the in the showgrounds in Ca- in Calgary, Stu's there. He said, "What the f are you doing?" <laughs> we said, "Hey, we we Abby fed the kids and I said beat them up." So we beat them up. He said, "They're my bloody kids." <laughs> now now. And when you say you them, beat them up, you guys were a little stiff. <clears throat> two of the two of them were two. One was thirteen or fourteen. I think <laughs> Brett was about thirteen. And so this then, was and then the other, in the ring? And, that, and then, yeah, and then another one, and another one, and then, yeah, there's someone 11 years of age, 10 or 11. And you're tossing them around in the ring? No, putting the boots on them, whacking <laughs> them. We didn't, we didn't do, we just beat, beat them up, you know, boot, kick, kick, and then first hit them with the, Hit the, we'd had the belts too from the the champs whacking them with the belts. Two of them had juice, so you know we whacked them where the juice was coming from. Anyhow, that's what you know when we went to the Hall of Fame, we now, brought that up. That was one of the things. Right, but and Vince how? told us. Vince told us. Vince said you can't use Abdullah's name, and uh. you can't say kids. Just say there were two young wrestlers. Luke is still the very much uh, fun-loving bushwhacker, but make no mistake, he was one of the toughest individuals to step into the ring. And I asked him if it ever bothered him that they are very much remembered as this comedic duo. And he said, no, not at all. It made him and Butch very famous and a lot of money. And that episode will be out uh, next week following uh, WrestleMania. Uh, That is another one you absolutely want to be sure that you hear. And as I uh, mentioned... Uh, if you are going to WrestleMania, I, again, will be at Wallamania on Thursday. And then Friday uh, morning, I'll be emceeing a JR's Live event that's taking place that day. Saturday and Sunday, I'll be at WrestleCon a signing. Also, that Saturday afternoon, I will be at something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. And uh, I'll be introducing Bruce and Conrad at their live event and hanging out and answering questions and uh, having a great time. I know that that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, But if you want to share the experience of all of this, uh, not just what uh, I'll be doing at WrestleMania, but some great conversations we have still ahead with some uh, fantastic individuals, great personalities, not just superstars, but people who have had an impact in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, we've got a conversation with Jameson coming up, just to name another one. Remember Jameson, the sidekick from Bobby Heenan? Well, he, uh, we had a great conversation with him. That's on the way. But uh, if you want to share in this experience, you need to subscribe, and you can do that by going to primetimemooney.com. Again, I want to thank our sponsor, Dollar Shave Club, one of the best shaves I have ever had. No kidding. And uh, guys, come on, clean up your bathroom and your morning routine. Join Dollar Shave Club today, and for just $5 with free shipping, you're going to get uh, some of those six-bladed razors. Also, you'll get the executive razor plus trial sizes of Dr. Carver's shave butter, some body cleanser, and those uh, one-wipe Charlies. And then uh, keep those blades coming for a few bucks a month. That's it. 
To get that deal and a tremendous shaving experience, all you have to do is go to dollarshaveclub.com slash primetime. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash primetime. Well, once again, guys, uh, everybody out there, thanks for tuning in. I'm Sean Mooney, and I'm out. The world of NLW Radio never stops. Simplicity and ease is what you get when you host your podcast with Audio Boom. You can post up to five episodes per month, you get unlimited storage, and 500 minutes of recording time for each episode. Plus, advanced analytics, embeddable players, distribution of your podcast via Apple Podcasts, Deezer, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Sovin, Spotify, and Stitcher. Pending approval by each platform. Right now, you can sign up for Audioboom's $9.99 monthly subscription plan and get your first month free by using promo code BOOM. That's B-O-O-M for one month free of hosting and distribution. Sign up for our $9.99 monthly subscription plan today.